We are in Corinthians. Show of hands. Who thinks the Corinthians are a hot mess? Man, they are. The Corinthians are a mess. I don't think sometimes Scripture truly shows. No, Scripture communicates it. But sometimes I don't think we get a real sense of what's going on just in words. And so here you have a new church, a young church, and you've got people fighting with each other. I'm just trying to picture what that would be like here if we had divisions like that. You know what we, we call that here? We call that church planning, right? I don't like what that church is doing. We're going to go off and plant another church, right? Which is, as a quick aside, it's actually pretty impressive what Riverside has done in church planning because we don't do it through fighting. We do it because we're called to go and church plant. But so you've got these divisions and these quarrels going on. And why? Because they're choosing sides. They each have a faction that they follow, right? And the reason why is they're following and they're looking at life through flesh, through how the world sees things. And that's one of the reasons why, as Dave was preaching last week, what he said was this. As um, the one line that really stuck out to me, what he said was, they can't handle food. They're still drinking milk because they're like babies, right? They shouldn't be drinking milk, spiritual milk. They should be eating spiritual food right now, but they can't handle that because they're living their life in the flesh. And they look at things. They make decisions based upon the flesh. And he says things like, God is building a holy temple. We are that temple with God's spirit. How can we be fighting each other and we all have the same spirit in us? Right? He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. Don't boast in men. Don't put your faith in your boast in men and in flesh is what he's saying right there. And so Paul, believe it or not, He's speaking to people who don't think very highly of him. They don't. Imagine what that is like. Imagine not, even, not only speaking the truth to people, but also speaking the truth and love for people who don't like you. That's what's happening right here. There's a faction of people that do not like Paul. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to undo their whole view of what the Christian life looks like and what it truly means to be a believer. And so today's big idea is this. A believer is to imitate not in pride, but in weakness. To be a believer of Christ, we're called to imitate not only Christ, but when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, because Paul is imitating Christ, you're called to imitate not in your pride, but in your weakness. Your weakness. My question to you today is, are you willing to be weak? Are you willing to be weak? Because this is what the Christian life looks like. And so as we go through it, what I want you to do is I want you to think about what does this look like in my life and where in my life am I called to be weak? Because that's what we're going to look at today. Let's pray. Father, we ask, Lord, we ask that you would open up our eyes and our heart to hear from you and to show us, God, where are we called to be weak? What does weakness look like in our life? And help us to live this out in our life, Lord, so that as we are weak, we see your strength, Father. And so we pray for this and we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All righty. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, and it says this. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. And what he's saying is the quarreling that is going on right now in this church is because they have such an inflated worldly view of Paul, of Apollos, and of Cephas. They're looking at each one of them, and they have an inflated view of them because of what they do and what they say. And so they're basing their judgments and they're basing their view of those who are in the church according to who they are and what they've done and how eloquent they speak. This is why they're fighting each other because they have a very worldly way of looking at it. And so what Paul is saying is, this is really how you should see us. Number one, as a servant of Christ. First and foremost, I, Paul, do not serve the Corinthians. I serve Christ. I'm not on your agenda. I'm on his agenda. Jesus was the perfect example of that, because it was Jesus that said, I only do what I see my father doing. He only did what he saw his father do. I follow my father's agenda, nobody else's agenda. You know who he, he did that with? His own mother. His mother tried to tell him what to do. And he was even willing to say no to his mom because he was following what his father did. Right? Now, I know some of you are like, I wouldn't do that to my mom. Uh-uh. Right? But Jesus didn't follow anybody else's agenda. He followed his, his father's agenda. And so Jesus gives us a perfect and beautiful balance of what it looks like to say yes and what it looks like to say no. It is okay to say no. But I follow my father's agenda. And so Jesus gives us the example. So the apostle Paul is saying the same thing as, I am a servant of who? Yes. I'm a servant of Christ. That's what I am first and foremost. The second thing is, as I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. A steward is by definition this, one who is given responsibility over everything but owns nothing. Authority was given, but he was accountable to the master. I, as a steward of the mysteries of God, the mysteries of what God has been doing forever has been given to me, and so I'm called to be a steward of this. There's a difference between a steward and an owner. An owner would be one who says, these mysteries are from me. A steward says, these mysteries are not about me. They're something that have been given to me so that I can share with you and I steward them properly. It's one of the reasons why when you think of the word steward, we often think of what? Right? Money. We are stewards of what God has blessed us with. And so as a good steward, I ask and seek the Lord's guidance on how I am to handle money. And that's just one example. I can handle relationships, right? I can handle my personal relationship with God. I'm a steward over all of these things. So what he's saying is what I've been called to do is to be faithful in that, to be truthful. I'm called to be a servant of Christ, and I'm called to be a steward in the mysteries that God has shown me. I'm called to be faithful in what he's given me. 
It doesn't matter to me that you judge me. It matters very little to me that you judge me, is what he's telling the Corinthians. Because they're looking down to him. Why are they judging him? Because they look at him and they say, you're not a real apostle. Look at you. Look at the things you do. Look how weak you are. You're not a real apostle. And so they have this look. They look at him and they judge him for that reason. And so that's why he's responding this way. How often does that happen in our lives? Have you been judged before? Have you been judged for being a Christian? Right? Has anybody ever heard this line right here? Well, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't be doing this, this, and this, right? People are very quick to tell you that, right? Have anybody been judged by where you live? Have anybody been judged by what you drive? Have anybody been judged by what kind of job you have? Right? Have anybody been judged? Probably not. By being a pastor, right? And how big your church is? How many people are in your tent? Pastors are the worst. We do it to each other. How many, how many people do you get on Sunday? I get about uh, 500 people. I'm like, man, this must be doing something right. Right? And then the, the one pastor who's got like 50 people, what is he doing wrong? Why can't he get it? Right? Right? The pastors we see on TV, they must be doing something right because they're on television. We judge. Judging happens all the time. And what Paul is saying is, I don't even judge myself. And you know what? I've done nothing that disqualifies me, but the one, there's one who judges me at the end. And who is that? He's the one that judges me. That's the only one that I'm worried about. And I'm being judged by whether I'm a, being a servant and I'm being found faithful as a steward of the mysteries of God that have been given to me. The problem with the Corinthians is they think they are wise enough to judge. They remind me of Simon the Pharisee, right? Remember Simon the Pharisee? As he invites Jesus over for a meal, Jesus is there, and she comes in, is crying at his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And Simon's looking and saying to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know the type of woman this was, and he wouldn't let her touch him. Simon is a grade A judger. I mean, he's judging Jesus. He's judging the woman. I mean, he looks at people. He can just make his judgments right away, right? And Jesus is like, Simon, let me ask you a question. Two people owed money. One owed more than the other. Both were forgiven. Now, who would love more? I suppose the one that had more forgiven. Jesus is like, now you're judging rightly. And Jesus takes that and he says, now I want you to look at this woman the same exact way. We judge and we judge according to worldly standards. And what Paul is saying, but there is one who's going to judge at the end of time. And who is that? Christ, because Christ judges according to the heart and not according to the flesh and not according to worldly standards. That's why human judgment is wrong. Human judgment is wrong is because we don't look at the heart. We look at the flesh. We look at the outward appearance. Right? Isn't that true in King David's life? Right? When he goes, they go to, to pick out who the next king is going to be. And David's father lines up all his sons, and he's like, no, 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 no. There's got to be somebody left, right? Oh, there's my one son who's tending the sheep. That's him. Right? God doesn't work the way that we do. Christ doesn't go by the outward appearance. He goes by the heart. And so Paul starts off by saying, I don't really care what you think about me. I'm called to be faithful.
to what has been given to me and shown to me. And that's what I'm doing. And as a result of him being faithful, they look at him and they judge him. It's the end of the day. There is one who's going to judge me. That's who I'm worried about. The Corinthians, they thought that they had and they assumed that they could scrutinize their leaders. And as a result of the scrutinization and forming these divisions, that's what you see in the church. That's what Paul is addressing. Look at verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So Paul is saying, look, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is that nobody would be puffed up in favor of one versus the other. Don't rush into making judgments until you know all the facts. In fact, use biblical standards when you judge me. When you look at me, use biblical standards when you look at us as apostles and don't go beyond what is written because when you use unbiblical standards, now you're going to judge wrongly. And so he's trying to get this through to them. And in fact, he goes and he turns it on them and he addresses their pride. He asks three questions. The first one, he says, now who sees anything different in you? The reason why we are all different right here is because this is how God made us. It's nothing that you did personally. God made us different. And so you cannot be prideful about that. And then he says, isn't everything you have from God? Why do you walk around acting like you did all this yourself? Everything that you have is a gift from God. And that's why he asked the third question. Why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? That you did it all on your own. And so he's trying to lower them because they have such a prideful view of themselves. They are so puffed up. They're so puffed up and full of themselves to the point they look down on him. I remember back in 2002, I got laid off. I was working for a company called Worldgate. They did internet through your television. Imagine those days. How far have we come now? So it was internet through your television, and I was working as a trainer for that company, and um, they were a company that had raised their money through like an IPO, a stock offering, and they raised like $110 million. And that was the days when these companies were just getting all this money from selling all the stock, and nobody had a clue how to actually make money normally, right? And so they would get all the stock, and then they didn't have a business plan. They didn't have a way to make money, and then eventually they just ran out of money. And so that was with the company I was with. We ran out of money, and so I got laid off in 2002, and so I needed to find something. And I always say, I'm like, man, God bless my mom because she cannot stop being a mom, right? Anybody a mother in here? You will never stop being a mom. And so here I am, 31 years old. My mom's like, why don't you apply to UPS? Why don't you apply to UPS? Did you go to UPS? Did you look at UPS? I was like, I don't want to work at UPS. Right? Because I knew it was going to be like an overnight shift, and I didn't want to work an overnight shift. And so finally, went online, <laughs> applied to UPS, and I sat there for 10 minutes before I hit enter. I'm like, because I know they're going to call me. Have you ever applied for a job before? You're like, please don't hire me. Right? Never happened before. You're like, I got to apply for jobs. I'm going to apply for this one, but do not call me. And I was like, please don't hire me. I hit enter, and they called me. I was like, and so I went. I worked for UPS, the hardest job I have ever had in my life. It was like 11 at night, 
to like three in the morning, right? And like I would work four hours and feel like I worked eight. And so imagine that. They actually wanted you to work the whole time, right? And so I did it. But I'll tell you, I was so full of myself. I mean, here I was. I was a trainer. I was traveling around the country leading training sessions. I am a Notre Dame graduate. And what am I doing in a truck? One o'clock in the morning, a dirty truck with people who didn't even graduate high school. I was so puffed up. And God had to bring me low. Because when you're full of yourself, you're pretty much good for nothing. And I was all about myself. And he brought me low so I could see him. I had no ability to love anybody else, right? This was right before the time in my life that I was like trying to get into acting, right? Because I had told God, I said, God, this is our plan, right? And I noticed I said, this is our plan right here, God. When you make me a famous actor, I promise you I will tell people about Jesus Christ, right? And I can slide you like a million here, a million there when it happens, God. And God was like, no, that's your plan. And he brought me low because I was so full of myself. And so I was puffed up. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is, you are so puffed up. You see, the first application in this scripture is this. We need to see others and ourselves as faithful servants and stewards. We, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are called to be a faithful servant and a steward to the mysteries that have been given to us. Newsflash, it ain't just for pastors. It's what each and every one of us have been called to do, is to go and to be a servant to Christ, follow his agenda, and steward well what we have been shown and what we've been given to. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I am not swayed by how you see me. I'm not swayed by how you look down on me. What I want to be found is faithful to where the Lord has placed me right now. I serve him. I don't serve your agenda. And what a beautiful comfort in knowing that if I'm found faithful and I'm doing what the Lord has called me to do, it doesn't matter what you think about me. It doesn't matter how you judge me because I'm following him. Because at the end of time, he's going to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I remember my, my dad <laughs> telling me one time, so my dad would go to church um, Every once in a while, he would go to his church. And what I found was there was just a distance between my father's, heart, my father's heart and my father's mind. He would do things, but you could just tell it wasn't really going over into his everyday life. And so I remember my father telling me one time, as I was getting more and more involved and, and, and deeper in my relationship, my father telling me, you're getting a little kooky. Right? Anybody ever had anybody tell him before? All right? All right, if you're part of the kooky crew, raise your hand. If anybody's called you like you're getting a little nutty, you're getting a little crazy about this, right? And so my father said that to me, and I said, Dad, I said, all I want you to know, I just want you to know Jesus like he's shown me. And he's opened up my eyes because I've been stuck. I've been stuck before where you are. I've just gone through the motions. And to my father's credit, he did it. You know how hard it is for a parent to listen and take advice from a child? And my father did it. 
And so I would ask my father to come to a Sunday. I would do the Sunday night small group. And my dad would be like, no, nah, maybe next time, maybe next time. And, uh, and so he started coming to the Sunday night small group. And I'll never forget, he came to the group one time. This is like, you know, five months. Michelle, you might remember. I don't know if you were there. Five months into it. And he said, you know what? I find myself becoming kooky like I was accusing him. He was starting to change. But you know what? I looked at that, and it didn't bother me when he said that. I said, because I know I'm being faithful to what the Lord has called me to do and who he's called me to be. And there's a very real risk that someone's going to call you kooky <laughs> in your life too, right? There's a commitment to being faithful for what the Lord is calling us to do. And so Paul is telling them, your pride, your being puffed up, that's what's causing these, dis- these um, divisions because you judge people by unbiblical standards. And so watch how Paul continues to lower them. He says, already, in verse 8, already you have what you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would that you did raise that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And so if you look at this, and if you get the sense that Paul is being sarcastic, he is. He's being very sarcastic with them. Because what he starts off by saying is, man, you guys, now you seem to have it all. You, you're rich. You are kings without us. Man, and I wish that you were kings and that you did reign so I could be there right there with you. And then he begins to go back and forth with them. He says, man, look what God has done to us apostles. We are last of all. We're like men sentenced to death. What is he talking about? Because he's using language that they would understand. You remember? Anybody ever watch Gladiator? Remember the scene in Gladiator where they're all standing there and they, and they go out in front of the emperor and they say, we who are about to die salute you? Anybody remember that? Am I the only one that watched Gladiator here? Right? And so what they would do is, as the Romans would defeat nations, what they would do is they would parade them through the streets and they'd be led by the generals and at the very end would be the captured people. They would parade them and they would go into the Colosseum. They'd be on display. And so what Paul is saying is, man, you guys are like kings. You, man, you are so rich. Us, we're just least of all. We're like spectacles to the world being paraded. Man, we, as apostles, we salute you. Those who are so wise and rich, right? The Corinthians, they were proud of how spiritual they were, right? And they were embarrassed by Paul and his humility and weakness. He embarrassed them. Right? What he says is this. He says, man, we're fools for Christ's sake, but you guys, now, you're wise, right? Why? Because to them, an apostle is not a fool, right? And we're weak, but you're strong. Why? Because Greeks and Romans, now, those are strong people. And now, you're in honor, but we're in disrepute. Because according to their mind, right, it matters now how people see you. So you always have to reflect that you've got it all together. 
right? You're held, or you're, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed. We're buffeted. We're homeless. To them, see, that doesn't look like worldly success that they were striving for, right? We work and labor with our own hands because God's labors wouldn't possibly work for a living in what they were doing. We bless when reviled. When we persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. They wouldn't possibly do that because why? Because if you don't fight back, you're a wimp. This is what Paul is dealing with. And he ends up by saying, now we were the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. That's what us apostles are. And he's hitting them because he's knowing these things would just, ooh, they would hate it. I would never allow myself to look weak. I would never humble myself. I always have to appear like I've got it together. And so they look at Paul and they say, you couldn't possibly be an apostle looking like that. And so we look at them and we say, how awful of them. But you know what? We do the same thing today. We do the same exact thing. Paul, he was run out of town. He was arrested. He was in prison. He struggled to raise support. All right? How many of you want to hire him for your next pastor? We do the same thing today. We look at those people on TV. They've written 10 books on how to have a successful life. And we say, that's who I want to be like. I want that. We wouldn't dare look weak. We wouldn't dare want to appear weak. Right? And I said, I'll tell you, it happens in ministry. It happens in ministry. Wait, how many people go to your church? 30. Ooh. I wouldn't want to be that church, right? I want the church that has like 800 people because that's the successful church right there. We do the same exact thing today. They were puffed up, but in so many ways, we too are puffed up. And so Paul is trying to give them a proper view of themselves, of him, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He ends this in verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I became your father in Christ through Jesus, Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in church, in every church. Now, some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but the power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? or with love and a spirit of gentleness. He's saying, as I'm not trying to make you feel ashamed, I'm just trying to get you to avoid pride. There's many people who've come to you as guides, but I came to you as a father, as an apostle. I've come to you that way. I'm going to send Timothy, and he's going to come back to remind you of the things that I've said to you. But some of these Corinthians were so arrogant, they thought he'll never come back because he's too afraid to come here. And so that's what he's addressing. He says the kingdom of God is not about talking. It's in true power. It's in the power of the word. And the power is found in what? In weakness. 
That's what he said a couple chapters ago. The power is found in weakness. And now he ends it by saying, now, how would you like me to come to you? Do you want me to come in love or do you want me to come with a rod? Literally, the choice is yours. How do you want me to come? You see, the second application is this. That we're called to imitate the life of Paul and ultimately Christ in weakness. That's what you've been called to do, is we're called to imitate them in this life of weakness. They would be appalled to imitate Paul and to live that kind of life. Ultimately, Paul imitates who? Jesus. Paul imitates Jesus, and what he's saying is true power. You want true kingdom power? It's not by building yourself up in pride. When you are prideful and when you build yourself up and you want God to meet you there, you're going to be very lonely. You find God in weakness. You find God at your lowest points. That's why in order to know Christ as your Savior, you have to get on your knees and say, I need a Savior. It's the first step in you going low to find him. You won't find him in your pride. You're not going to find him there. And so that's what he's saying right there. Man, I've seen this play out in my life. Here's a, here's a, a, a homework assignment for all of you. The next time you have a, I want to say it's an argument, or you're having a, a discussion with someone, and you're going back and forth, ask them this question. Tell me, like, how have I hurt you? And let them tell you. And when they begin to tell you the things that you did wrong, you know what's going to happen? Your flesh is going to be like, it's going to kill you. Right? You know what it feels like? It feels like somebody's literally taking a whip and just whipping you and you're getting hit again and again and again. That's what weakness looks like. When you allow yourself to go low to tell somebody, how have I hurt you? Now, it sounds good here, right? Until it actually happens and your flesh is going to fight you every step of the way. But to say to somebody, can you tell me how I hurt you? And then he's going, you did this wrong, you did this, you did this, you did this, and you're going to be like, your flesh is going to fight against it. And when you're in that weakness right there, that's where you're going to find Jesus. As you pray and say, Jesus, I need your help right now because I'm hearing things that I don't want to hear. I'm hearing things that I don't like. I need you in my life right now. You know where I experienced this is my last job? My last job, um, I think I shared this story a long time ago, if some of you didn't hear it, is uh, we had a sales meeting, and it was like over the computer, and um, I couldn't get it to work. Our, our CEO was going to actually be sharing, uh, actually going to be using and demonstrating this software on my computer, and I couldn't get it to work right. And so my coworker said, why don't you just share his computer that way it'll be easier. And I was like, well, that's a good idea. And so I, we start the meeting, and I shared his computer. Now, he's a very personal man. And uh, there was nothing bad, but it was a picture of him and his family. Oh, and he was angry. And then he was like, he asked me, to the meeting, can you come out to my office? And I put it on mute, and I was like, uh-oh. And I went upstairs, and I just basically, not only did I have to hear of what I did wrong, I went back downstairs. I was able to, to fix it. He worked off of my computer. I had to go back again afterwards. You think that's weakness? 
Because everything in my body wanted to justify, well, it wasn't my idea, it was her idea, right? Now my flesh is fighting against this. I don't like being in a position of weakness. And I sat there and I took it. And in fact, not only did I take it, I said to him, I, I was wrong. I apologize. He literally said to me, if this happens again, you're fired. And so now I got to live. Not only do I have to take it there, I got to live every day knowing that this happened. Weakness. But guess where you find Christ? In the weakness. That's where he is. That's what Paul is trying to get through to them. They're so full of themselves. They think that the Christian faith is about strength and power as the world sees it. And he's trying to show them that's not what this is about. You see, we don't have somebody who comes to our church specifically with apostolic authority. But you know what we do have? We do have a father that we can imitate. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see this. You see in the book of Mark, Jesus says himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then you look in the book of John, and it's Jesus' brother saying to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. He says, for not even his brothers believed him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. They're trying to get them to say, if you want to be popular, go and tell people who you are. Jesus is like, no. I don't operate off of your schedule and do things the way that you do. I operate off of my father's schedule. And I'm not here to try to puff up myself and to advertise myself. And then later in John, he's with Pilate, and he says, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Pilate thought he was in control because Jesus wasn't saying anything. Jesus, again and again and again, exemplifies weakness. His life was one weakness after the other that culminated in the ultimate weakness on the cross. God chose salvation not through Jesus on a horse, with a sword, slaying his enemies. With God, the creator of everything, allowing his own creation to beat him, to mock him, and to spit on him. To put him to death with the cruelest, worst death that anybody could ever go through at that time. That was what God chose and how God to, chose to reveal his glory. And we believe in that, that Jesus Christ died and rose again to forgive us of our sins. And so if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, how the heck do we even think that because of Jesus went through that, that we aren't going to go through that ourselves? Or that we are immune to that? The Apostle Paul is saying, now imitate me, because that's the path that I've chosen. That's what we are called as Christians to live. What does weakness look like in your life so that he may live through that weakness and we may see his power? The first thing, 
we need to see others and ourselves as faithful servants and stewards of the mysteries of God and that we're called to live to point to other people. Application number two is that we're called to imitate the life of Paul and ultimately the life of Christ in what? In our success? In our strength? In our power? No, in what? Weakness. That's how God has chosen to display himself, in weakness. The Corinthians, they think too highly of themselves. They are so puffed up and prideful that they make judgments about everything and everyone, including Paul. And it's their arrogance that prevents them from becoming like Christ and seeing Christ live in Paul. To be a follower of Christ is someone who doesn't see and judge the way the world does in pride. To be a follower of Christ is somebody to imitate him in his what? Weakness. Because that's true kingdom power. Pray with me.